Hello and welcome to the Plaza Central podcast. Stay informed about Latin America's most pressing political, economic, and social developments. Plaza Central is a production of the Latin American program of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Hello and welcome to Plaza Central. I am your host, Benjamin Gadan. Guyana's oil boom has come at the right moment, both for the country's development needs and for a world struggling with energy security following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In 2015, Guyana first discovered offshore oil reserves. That sector is now producing extraordinary tax and royalty revenue and powering eye-popping economic growth. In all, Guyana has identified at least 11 billion barrels of oil off its coast. The windfall could remake this Caribbean nation, or not. For throughout history, oil wealth has often been a double-edged sword, producing complicated governance challenges, even as it provides previously unimaginable development resources. The global energy transition also raises questions about the future of Guyana's economic model. In this episode, I am joined by Sarah Ann Lynch, the U.S. Ambassador to Guyana. Ambassador Lynch previously served as the Senior Deputy Assistant Administrator in USAID's Latin America and Caribbean Bureau. We discuss Guyana's potential to address global energy challenges and the U.S. role in helping Guyana maximize the economic development opportunities from its rapidly expanding energy sector while safeguarding its democratic institutions and maintaining social peace. Ambassador Lynch, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Benjamin. Great to be here today. Ambassador Lynch, Guyana at this moment has, by a long shot, the fastest growing economy in Latin America and the Caribbean, thanks to its recent and massive discoveries of oil and its increasing oil production at a time of turmoil in energy markets resulting from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The government appears to be investing heavily in diverse economic sectors, also in infrastructure and public health, in education. What type of transformation do you expect in this country over the next few years? Thank you, Benjamin. Again, great to be here with you. Um, I expect this transformation in Guyana to be absolutely historic. It is just an incredible time here. As you mentioned, back in 2015, uh, the first oil discoveries were made by ExxonMobil. Guyana was considered a frontier nation for oil discoveries back then. Now, just seven years later, they have two of the uh, floating uh, offshore vessels out there extracting the oil, selling the oil, and pumping over 380,000 barrels a day. It's just unprecedented and historic. ExxonMobil has made over 30 oil discoveries during this period of time, and I expect they'll keep on going. So with 11 billion barrels of oil reserves, that makes, um, that makes Guyana or could make Guyana the, uh, the um, highest, having the highest oil reserves per capita in the world. Currently, Kuwait has that uh, role, but Guyana may soon surpass that. And at this point, uh, this year alone, Guyana grew at almost 60% this year. This is per the IMF's recent report, which is just staggering growth for such a small nation. And they could continue to grow, according to the IMF, at about 30% for the next several years. A lot of that is in the oil sector, but not exclusively. This past year, they grew at about 7% in the non-oil sector. And the IMF is saying in the future years, about 5% uh, per year in the non-oil sector. And so 
as long as Guyana uh, diversifies its economy and continues to invest in its infrastructure, invest in key institutions, and most importantly, invest in its people, I think the transformation will be incredible and its future very bright. Ambassador Lynch, everything you described sounds pretty good and, and the envy of, of most countries in the world right now. Uh, but, but as you well know, many countries have found oil to be a mixed blessing, so much so that political scientists sometimes speak of a resource curse, right? This idea that, that the discovery of large amounts of, of oil can increase corruption, can decrease uh, economic dynamism, can overvalue the currency, um, can create all sorts of development challenges. It can, it can suck resources and labor from other sectors. Uh, Guyana hopes to avoid these common pitfalls. It's aware of them, and it appears very welcoming of U.S. help to do so. Uh, we hosted President uh, Ifan Ali in July in Washington. Um, he spoke, quote, of the strength of the U.S. partnership. He talked about Guyana's close links to the U.S. private sector. My question for you is, what is the U.S. government doing specifically to help Guyana take advantage of its rich oil endowment while controlling corruption, strengthening democratic institutions, maintaining political and social stability in some to avoid a resource curse? Right. We're doing several things on several fronts, Benjamin. Uh, we work primarily in the areas of governance. Uh, economic development and security. Governance, as you mentioned, is key to its success. And as such, we work with Guyana to improve transparency and accountability. Uh, we've provided assistance from the U.S. Treasury to the Guyana's Revenue Authority to help them audit uh, large contracts and improve their um, human resourcing efforts. Uh, we've also worked through USAID to help Guyana become a member of the EITI, the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative. We're encouraging them to join the Egmont Group, which is an internationally recognized group that focuses on money laundering. And to improve standards, we've worked with uh, even some people-to-people -people exchanges, like our Fulbright program, to provide specialists to work to ensure that certain programs at the University of Guyana are accredited, like their engineering program. So we have the accreditation board for engineering and technology that we're working with, and a Fulbrighter to help them. We've also done media training for the press to kind of ask the tough questions, which they do very well. Um, beyond that on governance, you know, we work to, with Guyana to help them improve elections management, um, as well as in the judiciary to manage uh, important cases and their, their case, and digitize their case management. On economic growth, we've done so much to highlight the investment opportunities here through, through virtual meetings, through trade missions, through conferences. Um, I've hosted women in energy roundtables. We do entrepreneurship training for youth and, and other budding entrepreneurs, especially in marginalized groups like the Afro-Guyanese women, persons with disabilities, um, to make sure that all Guyanese benefit from this new day. I would say most importantly, we match up U.S. businesses who are interested in investing here with local companies and amplify those opportunities, connect them, and, uh, and show that U.S. companies bring quality, excellence, and on-time projects to their efforts here. But all of these things um, are, are super important during the uh, meeting that you mentioned or the trip in July the U.S. government, through the Export-Import Bank, also signed a, a 
a historic MOU with Guyana, which will allow for the accessing of up to $2 billion U.S. dollars of potential investment. So with all these things, we really find the climate promising here. Security does remain uh, an issue, so we continue to work on that front also, helping Guyana attain certain security assets they need to combat transnational crime, improve their border security, including the maritime area. We do a lot of joint training, joint exercises with them, in, including uh, the Caribbean trade winds exercise, which brings militaries from the region and friendly nations to do uh, a lot of specialized military training. And, and finally, we've also provided uh, oil spill training to the Coast Guard. So we find that all these things are very welcomed by Guyana. They're also very important to us. I mean, this is our neighborhood. Uh, so the success of Guyana is our success. And we hope to have an even better partner in, in the future. The world is trying to reduce its dependency on fossil fuels. That is, of course, a Biden administration priority. Climate change is having severe impacts on countries such as Guyana, which is suffering sea level rise, stress to its agriculture sector. When President Ali was at the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow last year, you might recall that he addressed climate change as, quote, a question of survival for the country. My question for you is, what is the long-term future of Guyana's hydrocarbon sector, given these concerns about climate change, given Guyana's recognition of the local impacts, and given the global energy transition that the United States is trying to accelerate? Well, as a new oil producer, it's definitely a tricky balancing act for them. But Guyana is well aware that oil is a finite resource, and they know that they need to invest a good portion of their oil and gas resources into renewable energy, and they are doing so and planning to do more of that. Um, in the meantime, in 2021, they passed a sovereign wealth fund that's modeled off of the, the Norway model which we uh, see as a very positive move where they are saving the oil profits, investing in key infrastructure, and using the other funds to transition away from their currently 95% uh, dependence on fossil fuels. So these funds should give them the ability to prioritize green investments. And they are looking at hydropower, 165 megawatt uh, facility in the central part of the country, solar, they're just starting to explore wind. Um, and then they do have their flagship 300 megawatt gas to energy project, uh, whereby they're viewing gas as a transition to the greener uh, energy models. So, their top priority right now is to lower the cost of electricity, which is one of the highest in the region, so that they can attract more investment, including investments in renewables. They also, on the legislative side, recently adopted a low carbon development strategy, 2030, which addresses many of these issues that uh, I just mentioned. And it really lays out the government of Guyana's vision to balance energy security, food security, and climate security. It's more or less their economic development plan for the nation. And they had a good consultative process um, uh, associated with it, uh, which was very encouraging. I have to uh, let you know, if, uh, if the president didn't mention this in, in July, that 86% of the nation of Guyana is covered in forest and it stores 19.5 gigatons of carbon. So if managed properly, the forest truly is their long-term asset, but they will need to continue to invest in forest and forest management. 
Guyana does have one of the richest rainforests in the world and serves as one of the few carbon negative economies. And so they are well aware that their forest must be protected. So they're very, there are a lot of encouraging signs on, um, on, on the green side of the equation here. The Guyana has been eager to sign on to many uh, climate initiatives like RELAC, AIM to Four, which is the Agriculture Innovation Mission for Climate, um, the, uh, the Global Methane Pledge, and the recent PAC 2030, uh, so, which is the Partnership to Address Climate Crisis, which has new fresh commitments to climate adaptation, resilience, and clean energy across the Caribbean. So they're very eager to sign up for these things. They well know the need to do so. What the, the issue is, the challenge is capacity. It's a small country, small population of under a million people. They don't currently have all the talent in all these areas to do everything that they want to do. Uh, so they will need to import some talent to address these issues going forward. But the legislation is being put in place and the passion and commitment is there. Yeah. So, I mean, you sound incredibly optimistic. Um, other countries, though, as we've talked about, have, have tried and failed to maintain economic diversity, to manage, to invest in renewables, even while um, focusing a lot of energy on producing hydrocarbons, in controlling corruption, increasing transparency. I guess my question is, how optimistic are you that given the, the governance challenges you've laid out, given the human capital that's there, but also recognizing the scale of the government, whether it can achieve this vision? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I am uh, cautiously optimistic. I think with, uh, again, the IMF's report with almost 60% economic growth this year, uh, future years at about 30%, they're on an incredible journey already. But yes, there are many challenges and two key ones are inclusion and the potential for corruption. As you mentioned, in many uh, countries across the globe that have gone from, you know, uh, abject poverty, if you will, to incredible wealth almost overnight, it's tough to do it, do it well. So they really are going to have to keep their eye on the ball. But there are many models for them to follow of what not to do. And they are truly educating themselves in those areas and addressing those issues. It is an ethnically divided society, and so they will need to focus on inclusion. And there have been many efforts to do so, so far, but they will need to continue to do that and at an increased pace. The government has provided lots of um, uh, grants, if you will, to marginalized groups recently that were affected by COVID-19, by flooding, by the downturn in the economy. But those short-term grants, don't mean long-term sustainability. So we're encouraging them to focus on efforts that will create a, a sustainable growth for the entire country, no matter ethnicity, no matter race, no matter gender, and no matter geography, because there's a bit of a rural urban divide here too. We're encouraging them to make sure that uh, the indigenous communities, for example, in the hinterland areas in rural Guyana can also benefit. Uh, so inclusion is very important. And then, you know, when all this money is uh, coming into the country, there are certainly um, 
potentially bad actors looking at possibilities here, as well as the many friendly nations and reputable firms. So they will need to put legislation in place and also enforce certain uh, things. So they enforce that legislation to prevent corruption. Ambassador Lynch, given 11 billion barrels of oil that have been discovered, the major role of a U.S. company, Exxon. It's not surprising that there's a lot of attention to Guyana lately, that when President Ali comes to Washington, he has no trouble getting meetings. My question for you actually is about broader U.S. policy in the Caribbean. You know, it's not uncommon to hear the United States under different administrations accused of only sporadically paying attention to the Caribbean, maybe when there's a big vote at the Organization of American States and the Caribbean block is required, maybe when there's a, a damaging hurricane or when Taiwan is anxious about losing a diplomatic partner, perhaps a migration issue related to Haiti, but not the kind of sustained attention that the Caribbean needs. I'm wondering from your perch um, in Guyana, if you could talk just a bit about how our approach to Guyana maybe fits in more broadly to our approach to the Caribbean, um, including but not exclusively in the context of, of great power competition. Right. Well, uh, you may know that Georgetown, the capital here, is the seat of the CARICOM secretariat. And so as such, we do have a window into the uh, much of the Caribbean, the, the many members, the 15 members of CARICOM uh, and their thought processes, et cetera. Um, I think the this administration has shown that it is focused very much on the Caribbean uh, with the, uh, you know, the Summit of the Americas, beginning with that and the establishment of the three high-level working groups in the areas of food security, energy, and access to finance. Just on that effort alone, a lot of times you'll have uh, summits like this and get-togethers and Nothing much happens afterwards. But in this case, there have been more than a dozen gatherings of these different groups since. They've set milestones, uh, goals, and objectives, and they continue to meet uh, and work for, go forward on work plans and actionable items. I'm following most closely the Food Security Working Group because President Ali is co-chair of that group, and they're making great progress at a very important time when food security is on the minds of everyone in the Caribbean. So that's just one engagement. And then, as you mentioned, President Ali was in the United States meeting at a very high level with the vice president, with the secretary of state, with deputy secretaries, other secretaries, and assistant secretaries um, as well. He was um, he met on, on many members on Capitol Hill, uh, and then had a number of think tank events where he was able to tell this unique story at this unique time in Guyana. Um, so those were all very excellent engagements. And then um, at the UN General Assembly, at the on the margins of the UNGA, the vice president met again with the leaders of those three working groups I just mentioned. Food security, energy security, and access to finance to take all their work to the next level. So I see these engagements as only continuing. Uh, and they're not just meeting for meeting's sake. They're actually doing things and providing 
they're achieving results. The U.S. announced $28 million of, of food security assistance uh, to the region, and they're coming through, we're coming through on that, as well as providing advisors um, and guidance on key issues in the agriculture area. Recently, through our EPA, we provided training on pests and pesticide management. So these are things that the region is asking for. Uh, they're, they're not just uh, things that we're throwing out there as nice but not necessary. They are requested and we're coming through on it. So I see these as continuing and uh, a true recognition that the Caribbean is our neighborhood and their overall success is the U.S. success. Professor Lynch, we just have a minute or two left, but I wanted to see if we could dig a little deeper into a subtle reference you made to other actors who might be interested in Guyana's oil resources and in the Caribbean more broadly. I suspect you might have been referring to the Chinese who have shown sustained interest in the Caribbean and through investment have increased Beijing's influence in a region geographically, economically, culturally very important and interlinked to the United States. How does China's presence and potential influence in this region influence the way the U.S. does or should engage in the Caribbean? So the Chinese are one of the six peoples of Guyana. As I mentioned, it's a very ethnically diverse country. And so they have strong ties with China and uh, chi the Chinese investors have been here for some time. Yes, their footprint, especially in the economic area with regards to infrastructure especially, is increasing. Um, given all of the opportunities that oil is affording Guyana right now, there are many infrastructure projects uh, afoot here, and the tender process is um, going fast and furious. So Chinese companies are bidding on these tenders. Uh, European companies, Canadian, U.S., we're all bidding our hope is that what we can show as the United States is that our companies bring something that not all investors bring to the table, and that is quality, excellence, on-time budgets, on-time projects, and therefore we really are hoping that we're the partner of choice in the majority of these projects. Ambassador Lynch, I greatly appreciate you sharing your insights on Plaza Central. And thank you again for your help with the president's visit to the Wilson Center back in July. Um, as you can tell, we're interested in this extraordinary transformation occurring in Guyana and, and very much committed to the same goals that the embassy and the U.S. administration has, which is having Guyana benefit fully from these development opportunities and having Guyana avoid a lot of the potential negative consequences that have come in other places and other times when there is a commodity boom um, like the one Guyana is now experiencing. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Thank you, Benjamin. It's a pleasure. You have been listening to Plaza Central, a podcast about Latin America's most pressing political, economic, and social developments. This episode was produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. To learn more about our program, please visit wilsoncenter.org slash LAP. And please join us next time for another episode of Plaza Central.